I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. You're listening to our daily podcast edition of the program. Today, we welcome the author of Election Meltdown, Dirty Tricks, Distrust, and the Threat to American Democracy. He's one of the most insightful commenters on electoral security and health. Rick Hassan, professor of the University of California, Irvine. Welcome, Rick. Good to be with you. Rick, you have said in your most recent New York Times op-ed that we still have time for a fair and free election, but it's running out. What do you think needs to be done, both from the perspective of the media and boards of election and, and secretaries of state, to, to mitigate what is likely to be a, um, an effort to delegitimize the outcome of the election on election night? Well, I, mean, I think there are really two things. One uh, relates to holding a fair election, and the other relates to getting information out about the election being fair. Uh, so those are two different things, and they're both necessary. So in terms of a fair election, you know, we already know that it's going to be very challenging to run uh, a fair election in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, lots of people uh, are not going to have the same access to polling places. Polling places are going to be closed because it's going to be hard to staff polling places. Usually rely on older Americans. And we know from the primaries, a lot of uh, those poll workers are not going to want to show up. Uh, we know that voting by mail is being expanded in some states in a very fast uh, uh, and dramatic way. And that uh, ballots are being rejected because voters haven't been educated about the proper way to fill out those ballots. Uh, and sometimes voters are not receiving ballots because uh, they're not getting out fast enough or the post office can't deliver them fast enough. So there's all kinds of things we need to do to assure that we have a fair election. And, and, and part of that involves funding and, and the ball in, in Congress's court. But then the other side of it is we need to communicate uh, with the public, everyone who's involved in the electoral process, about what's going to come and about what the facts are. And so one of my concerns is that there's going to be uh, a lag time before we have final results, especially if many people are voting by mail, because uh, it takes longer to process those ballots to make sure that they're valid ballots. And, you know, we could have a situation where, for example, one candidate is ahead on election night, for president a week later, a different candidate is found to be the winner. And if that's in a uh, swing state that's important to the Electoral College, we could be in a situation where um, there'd be a lot of uncertainty. And with uh, President Trump making all kinds of unsubstantiated claims about fraud, uh, if he's the one that's ahead and then ends up losing, I worry about the kind of volatile mix of all of this. So there's a lot to worry about as we look ahead over the, to the next few months. Rick, you've divided into those two buckets, right? The bucket about the legitimacy of the election itself and, and, and the bucket about how we read the results the day of and, and subsequent days. So let's talk about the first bucket. The first bucket involved uh, an expose of the USPS under DeJoy and seeing a, a machinations to try to close down post offices and mailboxes and limit people's access to absentee or mail, mail ballots. Um, so when you wrote that in the New York Times op-ed, you, you, were, you were focused on what we can do leading up to election day. Um, the, what has come into the radar over the last 24, 48 hours is this claim by Trump that he will deploy um, law enforcement uh, and, and uh, police attorneys potentially to 
intimidate voters on election day. So you have, you have that threat, and then you have the normal kind of suppression. Uh, will people be able to register in the pandemic? Uh, will they be able to vote? Uh, will requirements for, for identification uh, stymie them? So in the, in the basket of things that secretaries of state can be doing now to ensure that, especially in those battlegrounds, we have free and fair elections. What, what can we try to accomplish over these next weeks? Well, so uh, one message I've been trying to get out is that we need to flatten the absentee ballot curve. The idea being that people should be requesting, if they're going to vote by mail, uh, people should be requesting absentee ballots as soon as they possibly can and returning them as soon as they've made their decisions. Uh, that way, uh, there'll be enough time, even if the post office is slow, and even if there are issues with processing requests for absentee ballots, there'll be enough time for that uh, to happen. Also, in terms of the counting of the ballots, I think every state should move to a system where all the processing of absentee ballots that have arrived before election day can happen before election day. And let me just explain what I mean by that. When an absentee ballot comes in, you have to make sure that it's valid. It's from a, an actual voter who is allowed to vote. This is a, one of those anti-fraud kinds of provisions uh, that we need. And um, if you can't do that, and in some states you can't until actually election day, that's going to add days of processing before we get results uh, in, in larger states. And so that's a kind of change. Often it requires uh, the legislature to agree to that. And Michigan is one state where the Secretary of State and local election officials have asked for this authority, but so far the legislature hasn't given it. Um, so, you know, there's this fighting over those rules. We also need to worry about safe in-person voting. There are going to be a lot of people who are either going to choose or are going to have to, because state law is not going to allow them to vote by mail, choose to vote in person. We need to have uh, a good setup. Already we're worried about long lines because, you know, on election day we sometimes see long lines. Uh, we saw this in the primaries when especially states rolled out new voting machines or different technologies failed. So here where I am in Los Angeles County in California, uh, we had an issue where the, the electronic poll books, which basically serves as the, as the master voter registration list for the state, those were uh, glitching. And, and, and so we had long lines. But now, you know, to have an election where we can practice safe social distancing and we can uh, clean machinery and uh, make sure that people stay safe uh, during the pandemic, it's going to take even longer to vote. So people need to have a voting plan, right? So some of this is on election officials. Some of this is on voters to figure out how they're going to cast the vote. And, uh, you know, the old expression, vote early and often. I, I don't think you should vote often, but you certainly should vote early if you have the opportunity, because we don't know what election day is going to look like. Uh, what's the best resource, Rick, and it may be your website, which I check regularly, for understanding the preparedness in various states, uh, because it is a state-by-state -state system, um, the preparedness in particular of the battleground states to deal with the issues involving absentee or mail ballots, long lines, uh, closures of polling sites. Um, can you give us a synopsis of, of the states that seem to be on track and states that seem to be lagging? Well, so, you know, the best source of information on all of these things uh, is, uh, I would say, the reputable local news sources. So when I want to know what's happening in Wisconsin, I turn to uh, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel or the Wisconsin State Journal. Uh, when I want to know what's happening in Pennsylvania, I'll go to the Philadelphia Inquirer or the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, there's really nothing, uh, you know, in terms of getting to the details of what's going on uh, uh, than local news sources. And, you know, one of the 
I'm not, I'm not a big fan of how decentralized our election system is. It's, it's unlike how we run elections in any other advanced democracy. But one of the advantages of having a localized system is that people can have input and they can be calling their election officials and checking local websites and ask, what is your plan? What are your contingency plans if there are problems at the polling place? If um, the electronic poll books don't work, uh, if there's problems getting to the polls, uh, if there's a cyber attack or a natural disaster, uh, we can pressure our local election officials to make sure they are coming up with adequate planning. In terms of the states that worried me the most, I think uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania are at the top of my list, in part because those are two states that have had problems administering elections in the past, not the entire states, but portions of the states. I'm especially worried about Detroit. I wrote in my book, Election Meltdown, about problems in 2016 in Detroit. And just this week, I linked to a story on the Election Law blog about uh, problems in running the primary. Still, despite the fact that the, there was a state investigation of Detroit, and despite the fact that the Secretary of State is trying to improve things there, uh, in Michigan, the local election administrators have a lot of power. In Detroit, they've had a history of problems, and they really need to get their act together. Uh, I really hope it does not come down to one of those two states. Uh, and both states moved to no excuse absentee balloting for this election season for the first time. There are going to be many more absentee ballots to process in the general election and the primary. And we already saw problems in the primary. So uh, some advice is just to take a deep breath. And it's going to be a while if it's a close election. What about bad actors, Rick? So the president has talked about deploying what would amount to intimidators, uh, a force of, in, of intimidators um, on election day. That really is in the jurisdiction of states, and they could, they should potentially be able to stop that if there was some kind of on-the-ground intimidation that was uh, being um, proposed or pursued by Trump. Right. So there was the statement that was made by Trump on Thursday night, where he uh, he was talking to Sean Hannity on Hannity's show. He called in and he talked about, in response to a question about poll watchers, sending in law enforcement and. Uh, I don't know how serious this is. Uh, I can tell you that in 2016, both he and Roger Stone separately through a group called Stop the Steal uh, were promising to send in a lot of poll watchers and nothing materialized. And my suspicion is that the argument for poll, wa uh, poll watchers was just a way to gather email addresses and raise funds. This time around, it might be different. And, and one of the big reasons uh, that it might be different is that from 1982, to 2017, the Republican National Committee uh, was under a court order known as a consent decree. Uh, that's a court order that uh, the Republican National Committee agreed to that it would en engage in certain ballot security measures that could intimidate minority voters. And this stemmed from various activities in New Jersey and uh, later in other states uh, that included sending off-duty armed police officers uh, to uh, law enforcement officers to polling places. Uh, and so it's kind of ironic to see Trump raising the same thing again. I expect in the next few weeks, we will see the Democrats and voting rights groups go to court to try to get a new order against uh, Trump and the Republican Party to make sure that there's not going to be intimidation at the polling places. And the thing and is that Trump- Yeah, no, go ahead. No, you, please. I was going to say, the thing is that uh, Trump doesn't have any direct control over local law enforcement. Uh, he can't order sheriffs to go in. And there are federal statutes that prevent uh, sending uh, uh, you know, armed troops into polling places. Including um, state national guards? 
That's right. Uh, uh, the, 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 that, those are under the control of the state, unless uh, the president nationalized the National Guard. But even then, I don't think he would be allowed uh, to do that. Um, whether he would try to send off-duty uh, law enforcement agents in uniform to polling places as part of uh, the campaign's poll watching efforts, I don't know. But I expect that that's going to be the subject of a lot of investigation and potentially lawsuits uh, as we move forward. Things are going to look different in different parts of the country. I think things will go smoothly in many places. I think we could potentially have small or big problems. And then really, if it gets down to a close election and we're uh, waiting for the results of absentee ballots to be counted to figure out who the next president is, there's going to be a tremendous focus on the processing of those ballots, on the consistency or lack of consistency with which they're handled. Uh, there will no doubt be stories of problems, uh, ballots that were missing and are found. Or, uh, you know, we have these problems every election, and um, they become a problem uh, to the general public when an election um, depends, an election outcome depends on uh, figuring out how to deal with these problems. But as I wrote in Election Meltdown, these problems occur every election, and we really need to take steps to uh, step up our game in terms of how we run our elections, uh, because, uh, you know, even the small probability of a contested presidential election in such a polarized period that we're in right now is uh, a potential catastrophe. Uh, I'm really very concerned about the health of our democracy when so many people uh, believe uh, on both the right and the left that the election is going to be stolen. That is a concern. You, in your book, talk about the, the soundness or unsoundness of some of the procedures um, that would lead us to question the legitimacy of results uh, or just the technical failures on the local level. But what about the bad actors in you know, secretaries of state, for instance, um, elections are administered by that office, often mostly elected, in a few cases appointed. Um, you know, are you concerned that the, I've used the word molestation of the United States Postal Service um, and, and effort to make it into a rogue political operation um, you know, that that kind of attitude and behavior is something that is bleeding into uh, secretaries of state's offices around the country. So uh, we are unique among uh, modern advanced democracies in uh, having many partisans running our elections. And in many states, the, um, uh, the secretary of state is the chief election officer, is a partisan elected official. And there's no question that both Democratic and Republican elected officials have made choices that uh, the other side claims are uh, partisan motivated. Uh, it's, it's a problem also on the more local level when you talk about election boards. Often uh, they'll vote on things and break along party lines. Again, it's not always that way. But when you put partisans in charge, uh, there's the danger that we're going to see that. And as you mentioned a few times, the, the postal system is now something that we're concerned about, in part because a Trump crony has been put in charge of the post office, and there are many reports of mail being slowed down and all kinds of problems. Uh, at this point, as we're recording this, I think there's a lot more heat than light. It's very hard to get a handle on 
what exactly is going on in the post office, whether say the removal of these machines is something that is uh, going to have a big effect on efficiency, uh, whether the slowdown is the result of a management labor dispute or is really uh, a more nefarious attempt to try to interfere with the election. The good news is that people are paying attention. Congress is paying attention. There's going to be a lot of attention on this. And if anything, I think it's going to cause more people to not sit on their ballots and try and vote them uh, as early as possible and potentially return them in drop boxes or to election offices when allowed to do so under state law rather than resorting to the postal system. Uh, I mean, just all of this, though, I think contributes to, uh, uh, you know, a rhetoric of, um, you know, we don't have our act together and uh, voting is going to be really hard in November. And already it would have been hard because of the pandemic. But I think uh, the, the, the fights over the rules, and in particular, Republican efforts to make it harder for people to vote, even in the midst of a pandemic, uh, are very troubling uh, for a democracy that, that should be making it easier in a pandemic to make sure that eligible voters are able to cast a ballot. Right. And we are anticipating campaigns to delegitimize the election outcome in slow motion by discounting votes in particular states. Uh, perhaps they are absentee ballots, perhaps they are not. Uh, but the other bucket that I want to close on and focus on with you is what you've talked about, the, the urgency that we recognize as broadcast, print, and social media, um, that the election results may or may not be clear um, within the first 24 hours, and in most case, uh, you would imagine not having uh, authoritative results. Um, so, you know, in, in, in on that score, how do we limit the damage? How do we um, ensure that, um, you know, the, the understanding of the American people is this is not a verdict that will be an overnight one? Well, I, you know, this was a key recommendation of a committee that I chaired called uh, 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 the Ad Hoc Committee on 2020 Election Fairness and Legitimacy. We should report called Fair Elections During a Crisis. And if your listeners Google Fair Elections During a Crisis, they'll find the report. One of our key recommendations was that um, the media educate the public that we may not have those results, that uh, it's going to be too early to call um, uh, when there is a um, uh, a very close election, and that ultimately, um, whether or not a candidate tries to declare victory is less important than uh, what the facts uh, from the ballots actually show. And I think that uh, this message is starting to get through. There's been a, a lot of reporting now talking about we should think about it as election week rather than election day. And I, I, you know, I've spoken to a number of journalists who say that uh, uh, we need the American public to be patient. I, I think that message is starting to get through, and I hope that message uh, will continue to be uh, hammered home over the next few months as we head into the final stretch of the election season. Rick, and it, and it won't matter if only traditional news organizations, the New York Times, Associated Press, NBC, heed that guidance, and the social media organizations do not. And today, as we record this, uh, Facebook has determined that it may initiate a, what it's calling a kill switch. Um, that is, if there is the attempt to, from one party or candidate to claim victory um, and possibly advertise that victory um, on their platform. So um, interestingly, Facebook, which of course was the victim of 
cyber espionage and hacking and rampant dis and misinformation during the 16 election does seem today in this first sign to be also absorbing what your report um, made clear. And, uh, and so I, I wanted you to reflect on the urgency of, of not just traditional news outlets, but the, the, the tech world platforms um, ensuring that there are not mobs that form uh, declaring winners when there are not actually winners yet. Right. And, you know, according to the reporting about this in the New York Times, uh, Facebook's kill switch would be to take down political advertising. But if the messages are coming from the candidates themselves, uh, so far, Facebook has said that it's not going to interfere with those. So I'm not sure what exactly the plan is. I do hope they're thinking about this um, in uh, not just in terms of political advertising, but in terms of messages that candidates might be sending directly to their supporters. And ever since 2000, we may not have learned some of the logistical deficits or from those deficits, but we have seen in recent cycles a delineation between too close to call um, and, you know, the, something, uh, you know, that is razor thin margin too early to call. Um, we don't have enough ballots yet. So some of the networks do seem to be making those delineations, even if it's many years after 2000. I, I gather you sense that there, there is the patience among maybe enough journalists and media to allow for uh, what needs to happen after the election uh, for, for us to have the time to count the ballots. Yeah, I think the message is starting to get through, and I'm certainly going to continue to pound that message as uh, often as I can uh, in the run-up to election day. And, and finally, the last question, when it does come to the jurisdiction of the courts and getting to decide um, potentially um, whether certain votes are counted or not, um, you and some of your election law colleagues have are dreaming up um, any number of scenarios, but which is the one that um, you think is most plausible and that you think that the public and our listeners should be most alert to? Well, I don't know. I think the most plausible potential problem is the one that I've already flagged, which is the uh, announcement uh, by Trump that he's ahead on election night uh, with declaring victory, only to see as additional absentee ballots are counted, that Biden's actually won the state uh, and potentially the election. Of all of the scenarios that, I mean, as compared to, for example, uh, uh, state legislatures deciding to take away the electoral college votes from the voters and vote themselves. I mean, the, there are lots of nightmare scenarios of things that could go wrong in this atmosphere. But in terms of realistically, I think that's the biggest realistic threat that we face. But, but I'm asking specifically in terms of a legal or judicial intervention in this case of whether or not these ballots are legitimate. I, I, yes. I, I mean, I, I suppose you think that the Supreme Court does not want to be in the middle of this again, but it, it could well be. It could well be. And, uh, you know, if it comes down to which ballots should be counted, uh, last time the court divided along ideological lines, this time it could divide along party lines. Uh, it's very hard in the fog of uh, a closely contested election uh, for even the justices of the court to put themselves uh, you know, outside of their own frame of reference. But does, but does it mean ultimately that it, that it is a nail biter of an election because 
the Supreme Court isn't going to weigh in on the, on the validity of absentee ballots in three different states. It would have to be a specific case that would be determining the result in one state whose electoral votes hang in the balance. I mean, the court is not going to say, you know, these three states managed it, managed the, the vote, the absentee or mail vote, you know, illegitimately, these states did not. It would have, there would have to be a, a, a basic motivation for them to get involved because it's a tight contest and there is a lawsuit in one particular state. Yeah, well, so it's hard to know exactly how it comes up, but it would be a lawsuit in one or more states that would raise these kinds of issues and really hard to game it out without knowing the specifics. But you think there is a scenario, Rick, in which there are multiple states and their electoral votes are subject to basically judicial approval? Well, probably not directly judicial approval, but close enough to... But it could be more than one state, you think, that whose, whose ballots are in question? Sure, it's possible. I mean... We've had a lot of string of bad luck in the in this country, in this world, in the last uh, year or so. And, and that's so, why folks are saying that the in, in this election cycle, in particular, having a commanding victory is is rather important uh, for right. either candidate. Right. Well, the election administrator's prayer is, "Lord, let this election not be close." And I think we all understand uh, that uh, close election. Rick Hassan is the author of Election Meltdown, Dirty Tricks, Distrust, and the Threat to American Democracy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you.